The Last Word with Matt Cooper. John Gibbons is with us for our weekly environment spot. I asked you last week about the EU nature restoration law, which is contentious, I think, with an awful lot of rural independent TDs in this country. And last week there was a vote in the European Parliament deferred, but there has been an advance in which Ireland has taken part, isn't there? That's right, Matt. Uh, good evening. Uh, Earlier in the week, it was it went to the European Parliament's the Envy Committee. That's the Environment Committee, and and there was a split vote there. There was an attempt by the the EPP, which is the European People's Party, to basically have the whole thing thrown out. That's the party of which uh, Fine Gael is a member here in in Ireland, and that that uh, they failed to achieve a majority. Only just failed to achieve achieve majority. Had they managed to do that, Matt, they'd have simply killed this whole process so that it had a it had a near-death experience so on a more positive note this week we had the European Council of Ministers of which say Eamon Ryan was the Irish representative there and it's important to stress he's not there representing his party he's there representing the coalition government with the authority of the coalition government and there was a strong majority of environment ministers that gave it the nod so basically where it goes next is is to a plenary hearing in other words a full hearing at the European Parliament on the 27th of this month so at that stage uh, I guess all the MEPs have the opportunity in open session to vote on it so Okay and Eamon Ryan has said we could have a nature restoration law by Christmas and what would be involved in that? Well I mean the key thing really is about implementation of the, the the elements of the nature restoration law that 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 are contained in this, and the the main objective here is to achieve in the in the shorter term, say by twenty thirty, about a twenty percent of Europe's lands being restored. That's basically what it says in the tin mat. It's it's about nature restoration. It's been contentious here in Ireland because it has been conflated with the idea of destroying farmland and rewetting and so on. Nothing could be further from the case in Ireland. There will be no, uh, first of all, everything is voluntary, number one. And secondly, till at least 2040, Matt, all the lands in Ireland are full, uh, complement for nature restoration can be done exclusively from state-owned lands, which are principally Bordnemona and Quilcha lands. So any farmers that decide, and some farmers, Matt, by the way, are keen to get involved in this. There's many farmers who are as staunch environmentalists, despite the, the, the cliches thrown around by, especially on that side. Many farmers are extremely extremely keen to play their part in nature restoration and will want to volunteer to take part in this programme. But hasn't there been something of a dilution of the biodiversity reforms at an EU level, in part because of giving more allowances to nuclear energy? Yeah, I mean, that, that's part of it. There, there's, uh, there's been an attempt by, I suppose, groups within, within Europe, and I think France in particular, Matt, are pushing the whole nuclear energy angle very strongly. And I think they're threatening to, to, to put a kibosh on the overall law unless it's extended to nuclear energy. Now, personally, I would have no difficulty with seeing nuclear energy designated as a renewable energy. But because by any standards, by any reasonable standards, nuclear energy is a low to zero carbon energy source, it simply doesn't leave us with a whole bunch of unmanageable carbon at the end. I know people will say it does this, that and the other, but the reality is that nuclear energy is already prov- providing a good chunk of Europe's uh, low to zero energy carbon. So, so we're happy to import it rather than actually producing it ourselves. Sure. And, and in France, for example, uh, about I think it's about uh, 70% of their total electrical uh, system is, is, is nuclear power typically. And ironically, Matt, that very system is coming under pressure at the moment because of uh, persistent drought. Because these nuclear power stations are located near waterways, they need a lot of uh, river water in particular uh, for cooling. And what they're finding is as the river levels are, are declining in France because of this ongoing drought, they're actually having to power down some of their nuclear 
nuclear power plants. It's one of these sort of uh, examples of cascading failure where uh, one, as, as parts of the system begin to tip over, the things that can help you, for example, like nuclear power, become problematic. But it is important to say that while France may have a valid argument on nuclear power, there are other countries that would like to sneak in things like biomass and clean gas. In other words, uh, basically fossil fuels by another name. So it is very important that if, if nuclear power is let in the door, which as I say, I'd have no difficulty with, that they don't allow other much more dubious efforts, like for example, cutting down trees to, 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 to burn in power stations, which is absolutely crazy. Okay, I want to talk to you about Norway because I've been reading a lot about Norway recently and in particular, you know, Norway is a country that's made an absolute fortune out of exploiting its oil reserves. It has an enormous sovereign wealth fund now which invests a lot of it in clean energy around the world. I think it's involved in wind farms here in Ireland, for example. But it's now doing something in relation to its deep seas. It's going to allow mining for valuable resources in its Arctic waters. Now, is this a good because a lot of the things that it's looking to mine could actually be useful, couldn't they, in getting us away from burning of fossil fuels? Or could there be too much damage done to their Arctic seas? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is we need to stay away from the Arctic Ocean area, the whole Arctic Ocean. And the terrible irony of this, Matt, of course, is that the reason why countries like Norway have got their shovels out with, with eyeing up the prospect of mining the seas in the Arctic Ocean is, of course, the disappearance of sea ice. So the very consequence of global warming is now opening up a so-called commercial opportunity to countries like Norway. Uh, I know the Chinese, Canadians, others have been circling the, 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 the Arctic Ocean as a new commercial opportunity. I mean, it, this is an incredibly sensitive habitat. This is basically largely, up until very recently, completely untouched by all human inputs. And also, when bad things happen, Matt, in the Arctic Ocean... Uh, leaks and spills and so on, it is absolutely catastrophic because it's next to impossible to clean them up. Not, not of course, that that's a huge issue for these people. But I think it is uh, highly problematic for a wealthy first world, like a super wealthy first world country in Norway, boasting about their electric vehicles and their green transition and their wind farms to say, we just need to get even more wealthy and we need to dig up but the hold Arctic on. This is where they say they'll get the metals and the minerals which will actually allow for the green transition that if you don't do this, the Chinese mine it in a less ethical fashion in other parts of the world. Yeah, I would sum that argument up as saying if we don't destroy the world, somebody else will. I've heard that argument deployed right here in Ireland. It doesn't hold any water. It's a bogus argument. There's no justification moral or otherwise for deep sea exploration. It's highly risky and problematic. And we've spoken about this before, Matt, as well. One of the many consequences of messing with the deep sea is that you disturb huge amounts of settled carbon deposits. You may, you may recall we discussed this in relation to, to bottom trawling. That, that's estimated to churn up about a billion tonnes of carbon from the seafloor every year, for like far more damage than the entire industry is worth. Now, the idea of letting the mining industry loose on the seafloor out of sight where they can do whatever they like and leave somebody else to clean up the mess is a really horrible thing. And I've often heard the argument made, well, say, for example, if this were an African state, you say, well, look, they have no money, they're poor. They need, they desperately need to, to, to use these resources. In the case of Norway, it is completely inexcusable. And that argument, Matt, that, that, that they've deployed that, oh, well, if we don't do it, it will have to get something from China. There are many sources in the world, uh, 
in many countries of many of the minerals and elements that are used in the renewable transition. This is just a, a shameless uh, grab by Norway. Talking about the seas, we had an item on Monday's programme with an oceanographer about this extreme heat wave hitting the seas around Britain and Ireland, but particularly our northwest uh, part of Ireland and the Atlantic, where it's about four or five degrees above the average for the time of year. What are your concerns with that? Yeah, this has been designated as an extreme marine heatwave. And marine heatwaves, first of all, we don't expect them in the North Atlantic as high as, as far north as, as Ireland and Britain. So first thing to say about this matter is it's an extremely unusual event. But I think even beyond the specific heatwave event uh, around Ireland, what we're seeing in, in the wider sense is the warming, serious warming of the North Atlantic generally. And uh, there's different dis- discussions about what what could be causing this. For example, uh, one of the one of the things that's being being considered is that in 2020 there was a new uh, maritime agreement which uh, did away with uh, the mar- marine fuels that emit uh, sulphur, and the, the the removing of sulphur has had a, a coup, or sorry a warming effect in fact because the sulphur aerosols from from uh, shipping and there's huge amounts of shipping, particularly in the northern hemisphere uh, between America and Europe in particular. And that was emitting a lot of, of aerosols that were masking the heating. So we may be getting some of that. There's also, of course, an El Nino uh, component to this. But most of all, what's going on here is this is historic. And again, for context, we now are looking at global sea surface temperatures, Matt. We have, we have instrumental records in these that go back to 1850. So they're heading for 200 years old. And what we've discovered is in April and May of 2023, the highest sea surface temperatures ever recorded. And by the way, when I say sea surface, and I, I posted on Twitter about this earlier, and people saying, oh, you mean the top inch? Well, it's easy to warm that. No, this is going down meters. Now, you think of the energy required to boil a kettle, just a litre of water, one litre of water, to raise the temperature. It takes 10,000 times more energy to raise a molecule of water by one degree than it does to raise a molecule of air by one degree. So the heating of our oceans, basically, the fact that that ocean heating is now beginning to express itself in fast rising temperatures is absolutely alarming. It is easy to heat the atmosphere. It's extremely difficult to heat the oceans. So what we're seeing here is that ocean heating is occurring on timescales that we just don't understand. Now, to try to put a context, Matt, on this, I look back to to uh, a report from the, the, the scientific journal Nature that was published in April 2020. So, so just so I'm not hindcasting here, right? And what they said, uh, and I quote, is that if the climate crisis continues unchecked, scientists are warning that ocean ecosystems are likely to collapse in the 2020s. This decade, they're predicting ocean ecosystem collapse. They're also saying that as climate change continues, we can expect land species system collapse by the 2040s. But what they're saying, for example, is that the oceans are more sensitive. Why are they more sensitive? Because first of all, as ocean water heats, it it loses oxygen. That suffocates marine life. That's the first thing. I just need to finish up. Just finish a second then quickly on that. Yeah. And as I say, basically our oceans are are under extreme pressure uh, and if we don't put the brake on global warming super fast, we could be looking at a marine system collapse uh, this decade. And that really is something that we should all be alarmed about. John Gibbons, thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.